why we need Jesus. Hello and welcome to Bible Truth Feed, a podcast by Christadelphian Video. All sin and, as a consequence, all die. But God has a purpose and he wants people to become his sons and daughters. God's son, Jesus, was able to sin because he was the son of Mary. It was also possible, but not inevitable, that Jesus could be sinless because he was the son of God. Because he was sinless, God raised Jesus from the dead, having committed no sin. All who associate themselves with Jesus through baptism, Christ's instruction, can be saved by the forgiveness of their sins through the grace of God. Why we need Jesus. We're told on numerous occasions um, in the Bible, here's one very early on, just before Jesus was born, about perhaps why we need Jesus in our lives. So just read this together. Matthew 1, talking to his mother, Mary, um, the angel says, she shall bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. So right before he was born to his mother, she's being told he's going to have a job to do or a task to fulfill, and that is to save people from their sins. And then numerous times throughout the New Testament, um, we get phrases like this. Our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. So when we piece those sort of phrases together, why do we need Jesus? Well, we could come up with something like this. Why do we need Jesus? Well, Jesus Christ is the saviour. So we're going to use that phrase and, and elements of it now to go through four things this morning. We're going to break it down and, and try and understand these four things. Well, first of all, why do we need a saviour? Then we're going to think about Jesus Christ. Well, what qualifies him to be our saviour? Um, then we're going to think about the whole statement, Jesus Christ the saviour. How do we get on board with that? And then finally, uh, you'll notice the word the. Um, we're going to see if that has any significance. Is he the only saviour or is he one of many options that we could choose? So let's consider what we need saving from, why we need saving. I suppose the best place to start is to consider the, the who, what and the why. And I suppose most of us here this morning um, have a fair idea about this. But perhaps the general public aren't quite sure if they need saving or what they need saving from. So we're going to look at, well, who needs saving? Is it everybody? Or is being a good person enough? Um, is it only those who are wicked in some way that need saving? What do they need saving from? Um, and finally, why would anyone want to save them? So those are the three elements we're going to look at. But in order to answer those, I'm going to need you to open your Bibles, and we're going to go back to the very beginning of creation in Genesis chapter 2 and 3. right at the start of your boils, Genesis 2 and 3. Talks here about creation of man and woman. Starting in Genesis chapter 2, just to give a bit of background, verse 7 tells us that the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, man became a living soul, and the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, there he put the man 
whom he had formed. So we're right at the beginning of time now. God has um, formed the shape of, of, of a man out of the dust of the ground. He's breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and that, um, that, that pile of dust, if you like, had become a living soul. God put that living soul in a garden called the Garden of Eden. And that man, Adam, as he became known as, was to look after that place. So verse 15 of chapter 2, the Lord God took the man, put him into the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. He gave him basically a single rule. He could do whatever he liked, but verse 16, the Lord God commanded the man saying, of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die or process of death would begin. So, you know, an idyllic scene in the Garden of Eden, um, the very first man, free reign to do whatever he liked, really. One rule, just don't eat the tree of this, uh, the fruit of this, this single tree. Think, well, that's going to be easy enough to, to keep, isn't it? However, we move on swiftly to Genesis chapter 3. Um, the woman has been created, Adam's wife Eve, she has a discussion with one of the animals in the garden who, who sort of um, tricks her, I suppose. However, she makes a decision, verse 6. The woman saw that the tree was good for food, so this tree that God said, you're not to eat of it, any other one apart from this one. But she was focused on this one. She saw that it was good for food, pleasant to the eyes, tree to be desired to make one wise, so it ticked all the boxes of why she wanted it. She took of the fruit thereof, did eat, Gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. So what do we think is going to be the consequence of that? Are they going to get away scot-free, or is God going to um, sort of um, fulfill the, the promise, if, if you can call it that, that he had made? That if they do that, there are going to be serious consequences. Well, as we read through Genesis chapter 3, um, there's a bit of dialogue there, but in summary of the punishment Verse 18 and 19. So by doing this, by disobeying God, they, they, they brought um, curses, if you like, into the world. So what had been a perfect situation, perfect garden, with lovely flowers and plants, nothing bad there. Well, God says, look, you've started a process now. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee. I shall eat the herb of the field. So, so the world itself was, was going to degenerate in a way. However, verse 19, in the sweat of thy face, thou shalt eat bread, and this is the important bit now, till thou return unto the ground, out of it wast thou taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust thou shalt return. So, surely enough, God had said he was going to um, take action if they disobeyed him. They disobeyed him by, by, by sinning, by taking off that fruit of the tree, and so God carries out um, the action that he had promised. They were going to die and return to the dust. So a key verse now on this topic. We're looking at four sections. There are four key verses that I'm going to be putting up so we can try and remember these and, um, and, and help us understand the, the topic a bit more. So Romans 5 verse 12. We've just read about this now. Therefore, as through one man, sin entered into the world. So we've read about how that happened. Adam disobeying God, and death through sin, so we've read about that as well, verse 19 of chapter 3, God said, 
um, you're going to return to the earth. But there's an extra bit now. So death passed unto all men, for that all sin. Okay, let's pick that apart a bit. But first we need to remember Romans 5 verse 12. We'll be tested on that in a minute. Let's pick it apart. So, fairly logical progression that we're given there, isn't it? We're told sin results in death. One man, sin entered into the world and death through sin. So sin results in death. And so death passed unto all men for that all have sinned. Everybody sins. So using that rule, sin results in death. Everybody dies. That's the progression. It's fairly simple to understand, I think, isn't it? It details what we need saving from. Death. And who needs saving? Everybody. All have sinned. And our experience of life would bear that out, wouldn't it? We all know someone who has died. We fully expect to die ourselves one day if we live long enough. That makes any sense. Um, perhaps we didn't know the reason why, but now we do. Because of sin. Because of the sin that Adam did, but also because of the sin that we all do. One more verse to back that up. Romans 3 verse 23, cemented in our minds. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We've all done it, but we all suffer the same punishment. So hopefully that's making a bit of sense so far. Let's just summarise what we've seen uh, with this process chart. So we know that, that sin is part of the issue. What is sin? Well, that's not something we use in, in general life, perhaps, the word sin. But um, the Bible tells us what it is. It's transgression of the law. So if you break God's law, you have sinned. Now, back in Genesis chapter 2, it, it looks like there was only one rule. Um, fairly simple. Um, but still, Adam broke it. Nowadays, there are a lot of rules that God has given us. Um, and we can break any one of those, and we do break many of them. It could be whatever, you know, lying or stealing, so on and so forth. And when we break it, what does it cause? Well, Romans 6 tells us the wages of sin is death. Like God saying, you earn this because of your actions. Like, you've proved yourself to be worthy of death by disobeying me. You deserve it. The wages are a good thing, but uh, not in this case. And now perhaps we can answer the question of what we need saving from, why we need Jesus. By taking that one step further, 1 Corinthians 15 verse 26 tells us the last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. So if we could get rid of that power of death, if we could get rid of death, if we could overcome it somehow, then um, we'd have conquered that enemy. We'd be saved from it. Turn this up, Acts 16. We've seen how it is that everybody needs to be saved. Whether we admit that or not, it's a universal problem. Some people won't accept that. They, they won't accept what God says, and there's nothing we can do about that. They pass up the opportunity. One of the prerequisites, you see, of being saved is to first acknowledge that you've got a problem. God can't do anything if your attitude is, well, there's nothing wrong with me. There's nothing I need saving from. It's open to anyone, the solution that we're going to look at. It's a universal solution, but it's not applied universally. God doesn't work like that. He says it's there for anybody as long as they do something. 
And then they can have it. If you don't do that, you're not going to have the solution apply to you. That's a very important point. You don't get something for nothing in this life. God requires us to make an effort if we want to be saved. So a good example of the, the response that I'm talking about that needs to be found in us is, is found in Acts chapter 16 and verse 30. So perhaps we know the background. Paul's in prison. There's an earthquake and he, he looks like he's going to escape. So the, the jailer panics. Um, but Paul calms him down, talks to him about uh, Jesus and the hope that he has. The man, the jailer in verse 30, having heard this, recognises needs to do something, he brings them out and says, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? That's the sort of response that God is looking for and that he can work with. In fact, the answer is, is in verse 31. Well, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. But, but really, it's, it's the, the action of that man in verse 30 that we're interested in. What, what do I need to do to be saved? Well, that situation that Adam and Eve put us in was not a great situation for anybody, really. Um, on, a, on the one hand, they and all their descendants were cursed with death. Quite rightly so. They disobeyed God and continue to disobey God. But on the other hand, God's purpose had been sort of set back by their actions and their disobedience. We're told about what God's purpose was several times through, through the Bible. Here's a couple of them. Numbers 14, verse 21 as truly as I live, he says, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of God. So he wants this earth to be filled with his glory. A couple more verses there. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And from 1 Timothy, God wants all men to be saved. So perhaps you can see the problem we've got now. God wants everybody to be saved. That's his purpose. That would be great if he could do that. But then weighed up against that is the fact that he said, well, if you sin, I'm, I've got to judge that sin. And the punishment of that sin is death. So how do we reconcile those sort of two sides of the equation, if you like? God wants to save everybody. However, here's everybody. They're sinning. And so they die. God says, no, your punishment must be death. So how are those ever going to get back in balance again? Well, we'll uh, consider how in the next section. Just to summarise, section one, who needs saving? We've seen that's all of us. We all sin. What do we need saving from? Well, sin and, and its effects, sin and death. And why would anybody want to save the likes of you and I? Well, because God has a greater purpose with us. He wants all men to be saved. So, Having got to grips with, with section one a bit, the need for salvation, let's, let's consider Jesus Christ, because our title is, why do we need Jesus? We know um, that we need saving, but why is it Jesus that, that we need? He's obviously an integral part of what's going on here, so let's find out a little bit more about who he was and what qualified him to be a saviour. As we've already noted in the previous section, God had a definite purpose with the earth, and that the harmony of that balance was broken by man, and man's disobedience, bringing sin and death. But we also know that God was thinking or saying, I don't want anybody to perish. I want everybody to be saved. So that relationship had broken down because of man's disobedience. So how is it going to get repaired again? But it should come as no surprise that 
it was God who initiated the process. Here's our second key verse from Galatians chapter 4, talking about this man, Jesus Christ, where it tells us, when the fullness of time was come, God decided it was the right time, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. So there's a lot in those two verses there, some of which we'll come back to. But for now, I want you to note um, these things. First of all, it was God's doing. God initiated this process. It was God who moved to, to restore that balance between himself and men. The reason he did it? Well, he wanted to redeem or to save those under the law of sin and death. Why? So that we might be his sons and daughters. How was he going to do it? He was going to send his son. So four elements there. God initiated this process. He did it because he wants to save us. That we can become his sons and his daughters. Help him fill the earth with his glory. How was he going to do it? Well, critical to this process was God sending his son. So key verse, Galatians 4. What was the other one we looked at? Romans 5, well done. So, we're told that his son Jesus Christ had a very specific pur purpose, or was going to have a very specific purpose, even before he was born. It, here's a selection of verses. He was going to save his people from their sins. Um, when someone saw him, they said, The Lamb of God which takes away the sin of the world. Unto you is born this day a saviour. Mine eye hath seen thy salvation. Jesus Christ came into the world save sinners and you'll notice the recurring themes there of being saved from sin so somehow god's son jesus christ was going to be a savior so he could save people from their sins because we've already seen results in death so he was going to try and upset that process but now we come to the next issue god was going to require that the man who was to save us jesus christ would have to live a perfectly obedient life without sinning even once. Those were the rules. But we've already established that every human sins. They cannot help themselves. They could never achieve God's requirements of a sinful life. On the other hand, God could have said, oh, well, look, I'll get around this problem. I'll send an angel, an immortal angel. Um, but the problem with there is an angel can't sin. So... It would have been a, a, a sham, if you like. They wouldn't have been tempted. They couldn't ever have broken it. And it's an animal, because an animal couldn't discern between right and wrong. It wouldn't have been representative. And also he couldn't have sent himself, as, as some people think Jesus was, because God couldn't have sinned. It wouldn't have been a fair trial, if you like. Rules were that this representative, this person he was going to send, must suffer temptation must be able to give in to temptation, but must never give in. So to fulfill the specific requirements that God needed, two things had to be able to be achieved. He had to be able to sin, to, to be a human, to have human nature, to make it a fair test, if you like. He had to be just like us in that way. He had to be tempted like we are. He had to overcome those temptations and those challenges. And that summarized this side of him. In Hebrews chapter 2, verses 17 and 18, so it tells us there, he had to be made like his brothers, he had to be made like us, in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest 
in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. That's one side of the equation. He's got to be made like us to suffer being tempted and to overcome it. The second side is that he had to be able not to sin. This required something very special indeed. His mother was told in Luke chapter 1, verse 35, The Holy Spirit shall come upon thee, the power of the Most High shall overshadow thee, wherefore also that which is to be born shall be called the Son of God. So on the one hand, his mother was Mary, and he inherited um, characteristics from her, just like us in that way. But on the other hand, his father would be God. So Jesus was two things, son of man, tempted, just like we are, subject to death, but also son of God. He was unique in that it was possible that he may not sin. Just to sort of hammer home that point, being God's son didn't make him sinless. It was not an inevitable conclusion by any means that Jesus was going to overcome, but it did make sinlessness possible. There was a chance that he could do it. So let's consider how he does it. How does Jesus actually save us? Well, the requirement of God was obedience and a sinless life. And despite being just like us, tempted to sin, Jesus was able to go through his whole life without ever sinning. Hebrews 4 verse 15 tells us, we have not a high priest Jesus that cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but one that has in all points be tempted like as we are, yet without sin. So incredibly, he was able to fulfill this requirement and never sin. And yet, just like every human being before him and after him, he still died. We've got a problem here, haven't we? I thought the whole point was, if he didn't sin, he wouldn't die. He wouldn't suffer death. That's not quite right. Let's review God's rule. Human nature, if you have human nature, you will die. Sin, which we all do, you will show yourself to be worthy of death. So in Jesus's case, only one of those was true. He did have human nature, and so he died. However, he never sinned. And so Acts 2 verse 24 tells us, because God is righteous, God raised him, Jesus, from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him because he'd never sinned. God had to raise him back to life again. And because of this victory, the key verse from this section, Hebrews 2, verse 14 and 15, something remarkable happened that we can benefit from because of what Jesus had done. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared their humanity so that by his death, without ever sinning, he might destroy him who holds the power of death and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by the fear of death. So because of what Jesus had done, he'd, he'd broken that cycle, if you like. He'd lived and never sinned. And so he'd made it possible that somehow we can, we can share his victory. Let's have a look at Romans chapter 5. This tells us how we benefit from what Jesus has achieved.
Romans chapter 5, verse 8 to 10, we're going to read. God commendeth his love towards us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So we'll see in that. Much more then, being justified by his blood, because of what God has done, we are justified, we shall be saved from wrath through Jesus, through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. So says God, because of Jesus' victory, I'm prepared to count you people, you and me, me and you, as just. I'm prepared to forgive you your sins. I'm prepared to open back up that relationship between us, to repair that imbalance. Because of what Jesus has done, we can be saved. Now we're still going to die. Let's flick over a few more pages to 1 Corinthians 15. We're not like, like Jesus. We're going to continually show ourselves um, to be worthy of death by, by sinning, by breaking God's commandments. But somehow now, if we can attach ourselves to Christ's victory, we can have our sins forgiven. So God can say, it's as if you've never sinned. So every day we can sin. Every day we can have, ask for forgiveness will be as if we've not sinned. God will say, I've wiped those away. It's as if you haven't sinned. God will consider us righteous and God will raise us up again should we die. So 1 Corinthians 15 verse 20. Now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept? For since by man came death, so because of Adam, death came along. By man, this is Jesus this time, came also the resurrection of the dead. So Adam brought in this curse of death. Jesus has brought in this hope of resurrection. But as in Adam all die, seen why? Because we all sin, just like Adam. Even so in Christ, so if we can associate ourselves with him, shall all be made alive. But every man in his own order, Christ the first fruit, so he's the first one that's been raised to everlasting life. Afterward, they that are Christ's at his coming. So when he returns, the dead will be raised. Now, the final section then, in case you're wondering what, why it has to be Jesus, perhaps there's another or more than one solution. I want to consider very briefly um, why it is Jesus the saviour. It's not Jesus a saviour, it's not Jesus their saviour, it's Jesus the saviour. A couple of important verses that tell us in Acts 4 verse 12, despite what we may want to think, God is very clear on this, and in none other talking about Jesus, is their salvation. For neither is there any other name under heaven that is given among men whereby we must be saved. John 14, verse 16, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one cometh unto the Father but by me. So very clear there. We can think what we like, but the Bible says, unless you associate yourself with Jesus, you cannot be saved. It's the only way, the single way, which is why Jesus Christ is the Savior. So that's all well and good, but we sort of come full circle, understanding those, those four different aspects. We come full circle to the question of what must I do to be saved? How do I associate myself with Jesus? It's all very well that the process has been put in place, but how do I attach myself to that process? God has told us there's a sequence of, of events that we need to follow. It begins with repentance 
and confession, i.e. admitting that we've got a problem, admitting that we're a sinner, and saying sorry, basically, to say to God he's right in condemning us to death. He's right in the punishment that he's, he's proclaimed. There's nothing good in us worth saving. And then we can begin the process of turning it round in our lives. But just to, to reinforce, first of all, repentance. You know, what must we do to be saved? Repent and be baptised, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. Confess our sins. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Then comes the most important stage of all, our last key verse here. The major, one of the major steps. It's an essential step. You can believe in Jesus all you like, you can be a great person, um, but it's not enough unless, Mark 16 verse 16 tells us, he that believeth and is baptised shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be condemned. And I suppose I can't emphasise that enough really, unless we are baptised, no good. However good we are, whatever we do in our lives, whatever we believe, it's not good enough. We have to be baptised to um, have a hope of this salvation through Jesus. So let's let's have a look at, at Romans six. That's the um, the chapter that we read to understand a little bit more about baptism. What is it? Then include that with um, Colossians, which is the next stage really. Continuing once we've been baptized, carrying on with a life of obedience. But first of all, baptism. Romans chapter six, essential for salvation. Verse 3, what are we doing when, when we're baptised? Know we not that so many of us as were baptised into Jesus Christ were baptised into his death. So baptism is a symbolic act of associating ourselves with the death of Christ. Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, verse 4, as if we've died with Christ, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. So it's, it's a symbolic act of burying our old life, serving sin, being raised again to walk in a newness of life, following Jesus's example. He that is dead, verse 7, is freed from sin. If we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over him. So first of all, it's symbolic, but then in the future, um, it would be literal, raised from the dead to live with Christ. So what do we need to do about it? Well, verse 12. So, once you've been baptised, let not sin reign in your mortal bodies, that he should obey it in the lust thereof. Don't yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness. Yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. So, once we've been baptised, we've then got to try and Put into action, we've been raised with Christ. It's like we've, we've got, had a new life now. We're going to try to follow the ways of Jesus in everything we do. So that's some of the ways that we can do that. Colossians 3, I'll read this for you, tells us a few more ways. Tells us there, if ye then be risen with Christ, like a new person, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things of the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. You've got to try and live a new life. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. 
So that's the hope that we have got. So let's try and summarize what we've seen. Why we need Jesus? Well, we've seen the problem. This, this, key this. Through one man, sin entered into the world and death through sin. And so death passed into all men for that all had sinned. So that's the problem. We all sin. We're all going to die. But we've also seen the solution that God provided. The time was right. When the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under a law, uh, made under the law. So Jesus was provided as the solution to our problem. The outcome of his sinless life, he too shared in our humanity so that by his death, he might destroy him who holds the power of death. So he was able to break that chain of events, if you like, destroy the power of death. And we're left with the final piece of the jigsaw, our response. What are we going to do about it? He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Associate yourself with Christ in baptism. Our final verse comes from Romans 6, 22 and 23. The hope we have. Being now made free from sin because of Jesus and become servants to God, you have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. That's the hope that is set before us. For the wages of sin is death, we've seen. But set against that, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So thanks be to God who giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. That is why we need Jesus. He is our Saviour. Thank you for joining us. We hope you found the episode helpful. Don't forget, most of these episodes are also available as videos on our video channel, cdvideo.org. So head over and take a look. If you have any comments or questions or suggestions, please get in touch or leave us a voice message. We love to hear your feedback. You can email us at bt f at cdvideo.org if you enjoyed the episode then please share it with others until next time may god bless you in your studies and your walk towards god's kingdom amen